All right, everybody. Welcome to church. Um, it's very good to have everyone here today with us back one more time. It is good to hear children walking, screaming. That, that, is, that is a family. So do not ever feel bad for that. I don't. They're my children. <laughs> So, but it just, it shows, you know, there's, there's, there's kids who are being raised in the church. Praise the Lord for that. So that sound, it's actually encouraging to me. Alrighty. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. Just a couple of announcements before we pray uh, this evening. So uh, first, if you are a, um, uh, by now, kind of like a regular attender, and you would like to know more of what Corners and Church is all about, uh, how to join, what we believe uh, how do we handle things, church governance, membership, etc. Uh, there is what we, something that we do periodically, mostly on demand basis, that is called discovery class. And so we go through all those things with you. It's just an informational thing. It's not a, uh, we're not going to get you to sign any uh, obscure uh, form or anything like that afterwards or, or check on your financial records or anything like that yet. I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, so that's just an informational. You can ask all the questions you want to ask, et cetera. So it's, uh, it's a great opportunity for that. There is a sign-up actually right in the back where we usually have the offering. So you can go ahead and sign for that. Is the date on there? I forgot what the date was. What, what was the date? It's uh, the 28th of February. The 28th. Okay. So maybe we can just write it. Yeah, 28th, February. I don't know if that's a Wednesday or something, like at 6 or... It's a sun- oh, it's Sunday after church. It's a Sunday after church. And there will be food. Uh, so if you need yet one more motivation to stick around, there will be food. Um, and uh, so that's for that. Also, we're trying to get a, a sign-up also for um, the Love and Friendship, I should say, feast. And so it's not like strictly, you know, you have to bring someone type of thing. It's, it's friendship and... and uh, um, dinner and so we're, we're going to have a sign up on Sunday by Sunday so if you want to be part of that it's just going to be a fun meal uh, and um, are we going to have games yeah so we're going to have games and um, Baptist games and so we're <laughs> just and so we'll uh, we'll go ahead and, uh, and and get a sign up in the back as well for you guys to be able to sign up and we'll be able to see uh, how many people we're counting on etc so and that is Saturday night, the 20th? 20th at 6. It's a little bit delayed to what it should be, but just getting a chance for all of us, most of us, to be there. Uh, so it should be a fun time for us uh, together as fellowship. Anyone can come in. So uh, just let us know through that form. Uh, any, I don't think there should be any other announcements, I believe. Uh, other than that, um, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started with our session tonight and ask the Lord to guide us through this lesson tonight. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, one more time for, for your grace, for your love, for your gospel, for your Son. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we were able to see the light of the day, Lord, that we are able to breathe and that we have life and that we have Above all, your spirit within us. We thank you, Lord, for just the amazing, Lord God, opportunity of being gathered as a church, as believers. 
We thank you for that through all different backgrounds and and places in this country and even the world that you have brought us together with one common purpose, and that is to bring glory to your name. So, Lord, help us do just that. We are just broken vessels, Lord God. We, we fail, we forget, we fall, Lord God, but you are faithful. And so help us, Lord God, guide us today through your word. We do not want to bring any philosophy, Lord God, outside of the word of God. So guide us tonight as you teach us your word and encourage us to encourage one another as we will learn tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So tonight, as you can see, uh, we are going through a different series here of lessons. We've been very blessed by them. Uh, we're looking at encouragement. And so that this is lesson 10 now. Um, and last week, uh, after a, it was a little bit lengthy but necessary and complex uh, lesson on church discipleship, uh, we're now turning to a, a briefer type of lesson, so we won't be here the three hours that we were here last week, <laughs> but, uh, or, or two weeks ago, it wasn't three hours, but it was, it, it was a lengthy but necessary lesson. Uh, we're returning to now the encouragement, which it, it, we believe is, is a huge part of living as a church, living together as a church, right? And so just another reminder that if you um, want to check out the pre all the previous lessons, you can go to Sermon Audio, CCMB Life, and check on the series of the uh, Thursday Night Bible Studies to check out all, all the previous lessons. And so um, you can check out on that, okay? So let's go ahead and, and dive in. So we're going to be talking here about um, encouraging one another. And we believe it's a good thing, right? Encouraging one another as Christians, we know that it's something they were called to do. But it's also something that can be vague. Um, so is encouragement just another word for being nice? Is that what we're trying to do, right? Or is it, just, or is it deeper than just a Facebook post that, you know, we're praying for you text type of thing that has become more like a I gotcha, right, type of thing? Is it deeper than that, right, or, or, or a text? And, and, and so as we open, I want, us to, I, I want us to think about this question. What are some of the goals of encouragement according to Scripture? Right? According to Scripture, what are some of the goals of encouragement? And the second one that we want to meditate on is why should we encourage each other? So 30-second answer. Somebody throw, throw something out there significant and helpful. Um, what are some of the goals of encouragement according to Scripture? Mike. Yeah. Yes, as Christ comforts us in our afflictions, so we comfort others. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Mike. Anyone else? And why should we encourage each other? Something comes to your mind? You raise your hand? 
Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. And, the, and those, and you will see how they, both of those answers are reflected here on some of the scriptures that we are pulled out. And as always, as we want to do it here, we always want to start with scripture. Why right? we, we will be doing nothing here, and we just throw out some some kind of you know self uh, motivation message without the word of God, right? So we always want to start with scripture. And so one of the verses that uh, I can point you to here is uh, to see what. Uh, Paul, as he was writing Colossians, his goal for encouragement. And let's, uh, let's see what this says here. You, you can see it there or you can look it up as well. And it says, we proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person in all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. So did we catch that there, right? Paul's, what he's, he's talking about there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his objective there is to present everyone perfect in Christ or complete in Christ. And he needs the power of the risen Christ to do so, right? So the end purpose of encouragement is right there. Not to gain any friend points or to show off uh, any type of sign of godliness or uh, anything like that, but it, it's actually a selfless intent to present our brothers and sisters complete in Christ. The Bible also tells us that what, what to encourage one another towards, actually, right? So we already read the goal as is shown there in Colossians. Now, what do we encourage them towards? And so we can read that in Hebrews 23, uh, 10, 23, 24, and 25 that says, let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Yeah, we got that, right? And so let us consider how to encourage one another as it is the... Ha- I'm sorry, I'm jumping a line. Let's encourage one another in or to love and good deeds. Not abandoning our own meeting together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another... All the more as you see the day drawing near. So we, entr- we are entreated here to encourage one another to love and good works. So this word encourage actually here, if you look it up in the, uh, in the Greek, it, it, it denotes kind of like stimulating or stirring up or provoking one another. Actually, the only other time where this Greek word happens is when it is used as a word that described the sharp disagreement that Paul and Barnabas had. And it's a connotation that is, is sharp, it's, pro, it's, 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 provo- it's provocative in some nature. You could even say that you are stirring the pod toward love and good works, in a way, right? So you are encouraging, you are ma- eager to make something happen for the good of the person and the glory of God, right? For their seeing them as us, as it is our desire to be complete in Christ, right? And so we are to encourage, to stir up one another toward love and good deeds. And so that, actually, that same sentiment, it's, um, oh, not clicking anymore. Let's see. There we go. That same sentiment of mutual 
encouragement is actually echoed in our church covenant. As, as, as you remember, actually, from last Sunday, uh, if, you, if you guys were here uh, the list last Sunday, we actually read the, uh, uh, the covenant together. It was a little hard, by the way, because it was like very small letters, but we tried. Uh, so the, the church covenant here, uh, there is a part that says this. We will walk together in love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. And we read that, right? And so we, uh, here at the church, we, all, we try to read that uh, during our meetings. We also try to read that together uh, in our discovery class. As, as the members, um, as new members come into the church, they agree and sign this covenant. And we also read it out loud every time we have a member join the church to remind also the already members of the church of the responsibilities of the commitment that we have in the Lord with one another, right? So as you can see, this encouragement part that we're talking about here is, is actually a big chunk, a big part of our, of our even church covenant in itself. And so it is such an important thing when we think about living together as a church. And we are to mute our phones before our meetings. And so having these biblical concepts in mind now, we've talked about some biblical background and, and some of what we believe as a church in our covenant. Let me offer a short definition of encouragement. So in this context here, we could say that encouragement is speaking God's truth to someone with the goal of that person's growth and godliness. So let me read that again. It's speaking God's truth to someone with the goal of that person's growth and godliness. So a good summary of what we have here so far is that through the enabling of the risen Savior, we are, in, we are to encourage one another with the word, toward love and good deeds, for the sake of their growth and godliness, and all of this to the glory of God. And so what a massive responsibility, right, it is for each one of us. Encouragement for the purpose of holiness, so together, we're in a life and death struggle with the world, right? It's, it's the flesh and the devil, and our calling is to help each other to finish and cross the line together by the grace of God. Representing everyone perfect, or presenting everyone perfect in Christ, as we read. So let's listen to this. God is the one who ultimately preserves us, right? And yet, He uses means to do that. One of those means is the very body of Christ. And what a privilege that is, right? But also what a challenge. Most of our motives are selfish or demanding. But let us pray together that God would give us a heart so selfless, so interested in my brother's holiness, right? So broken for their sin, so passionate for their love and good deeds, that encouragement becomes a part of our walk together and of our talk together. Amen? And, and it's so important. And, and I, I find that just personally too, examining my heart to see how many of these motivations that we do in our walk as a Christian is just selfish. It's just for my gain. And analyzing that in my life, Lord, 
Am I selfish or selfless? I mean, it's just a couple of letters for the same word, but they are so different in our motivation, in our heart for doing things. And oh, again, that we pray that we would become instruments for one another. So part of fulfilling that calling includes being faithful in confronting explicit sin, as we actually talked about in our last session, right? But the Christian lives involves much more than that as well. There are thousands of choices we each make each week that affect our usefulness as Christ's servants. Even if a choice isn't ex explicitly sinful, it can be foolish. So we make cho choices about how much or how little to work, about how much or little to save, about how to parent, where to live, what to say. And as these decisions add up over time, they form the storyline of our lives. Lives that as Christians will one day be revealed for what lasting value they accomplished. So, and so we are in this desperate need of wise counsel, as we have heard, right? And Christian input for all of these areas, right? And that's it, because we are to have a Christian cosmovision, right? That cosmo, it's a pretty big word. <laughs> it involves everything, how you see everything in life in a Christian way. And so we've mentioned all of it. Parenting, viewing this philosophers, points of views about this, making decisions, encouraging one another as we see it, right? And so we need that wise counsel and Christian input for all of these areas. And that's what we want to think about this evening, right? How to spur one another toward love and good deeds, so the second thing here that we uh, need to think about is the challenge of encouragement. So first, what makes this difficult? And come on, let's raise our hands. Raise your hands if you think that it's difficult to give a real encouragement to somebody. For me it is. How, much, how, much, how difficult is it to hear it? <laughs> right? So two things that we must be aware of when we try to encourage others. Now, first and foremost is our struggle is one of the heart. It's just so important to remember. So the core desires that motivate our decisions and actions every day, all of that comes from the heart. And as we read in the prophet, uh, with the, in the prophet of uh, Jeremiah, we remember that the heart is deceitful above all things, right? And beyond cure. Who can understand it? So after watching so many Disney movies telling me that I need to trust my heart, then uh, Jeremiah just kind of, right? <laughs> the heart. The evil desires of the heart that are, are what actually James points out to both as the cause of temptation in chapter 1, verse 14, and the external conflict in chapter 4, Verse 1. So when we find that our brothers and sisters in Christ in this church are making decisions that do not align with their calling in Christ, we know that the sore isn't primarily external, but they're working out of sinful desires of their hearts. And this is such an important thing to think about when we think about relationships, how we parent, how we relate with our spouses, how we relate with our friends, how we relate with one another, right? that we are not this agents of behavioral change. But as we understand that we are taken up from glory to glory and sanctification and that God uses us as vehicles to help one another, 
that we're able to understand together the motives, the heart, the issues, the sin that's in all of us, in so many parts of our living, right? And so this is very important because so very often when we are in relationships with other Christians, we see things in their lives that are dishonoring to Christ. And our goal is often to get them to behave a different way, right? If only he wouldn't spend so much around those people. If only she would spend more time volunteering at church. But if only he would switch into a job that gave him more time with his family. But as we know all too well, behavior isn't the root of the problem. And there are a few implications to this. Now first, only God can change the heart. We are his instruments, right? And... uh, and this applies for so many things. It reminds me of parenting, right? As we as parents, we're just instruments of God. And the temptation that comes in to try to change behaviors, right? Instead of ministering to their own hearts, right? Instead of pointing them to Christ, to find who they really are, to find who God really is, and to find the treasure that Christ is, right? And so we are his instruments. Good reminder for some of us who are tempted also with control right and and that's a a temptation that many of us could have based on our personality that we tend to want to control the situation monitor monitor the situation you know constantly making sure that there is progress and even have an an excel spreadsheet somewhere about someone's sanctification (laughs) and tracking tracking progress right I would, I would be all over that. Just a, a, a sanctification Excel spreadsheet with all the formulas, right? And, and that's a lot of us just trying to control, right? When we, ha- when we are to first acknowledge that God is the one who changes the heart and we are just his instruments. We are like pointing arrows. And so as we involve ourselves in the lives of others, we must remember that prayer, again, is our best weapon. That guilt and coercion can't not correct deep heart issues and that our desperation for God to act merely increases the glory due to him when we cry out for this brother or sister so holding someone accountable for habitual sin for example there might be a good appropriate times for example in that that I just mentioned where we help others in a behavior change right like holding somebody accountable for a habitual sin But better behavior isn't the ultimate goal, right? Ultimately, we care about matters of the heart. And another implication, when we encourage others, we must remember that our hearts are prone to wonder too. It's not accident that immediately after Paul exhorts us to restore those caught in sin in in Galatians 6.1, he warns us against our own pride and self-reliance. Our hearts are darker and capable of more evil than we, will be, than we will ever realize, right? And lastly, the importance of the heart reminds us that our goal isn't to help others feel happy and fulfilled. There are many ways to achieve this, right? And that tragically never gets to our heart issues. Our goal is to encourage, our goal for encouraging others is that they would be transformed in their desires, in the desires that they seek Christ above everything else, which is in the end what leads to true joy 
and lasting joy. Now, a second enemy that we're talking about here, a second challenge, right, to encouragement is worldly thinking or hollow and deceptive philosophies. Now, a second enemy is worldly thinking. So, what we are, to, what we, um, are pointed to here are Paul's words in Colossians 2.8. See, see to it that there is no one who takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception in accordance with human tradition, in accordance with the elementary principles of the world rather than in accordance with Christ. So to use this terminology, we are all philosophers in a way. We all, at all time, are creating philosophies of meaning in our own lives, right? What matters? Why do things happen? What's worth living for? And, and though we usually know what the right answers are to those questions, we're easily deceived and easily taken captive by philosophies that are human and worldly rather than based on truth. And so those that we're trying to encourage in one ear have the world shouting through a megaphone in their other ear. And we're the same way, right? Our guiding philosophy should rest on the truth of the gospel. But even as Christians, our lives are often inconsistent with its truth. In their book, How to Change People, or no, <laughs> How People Change, that's quite different. How People Change, yeah, just second language here, reading this second language, I don't even, yeah, <laughs> That's right. That's the sequel, how to change people. Actually, hopefully the prequel, actually, and then how people change. <laughs> so how people change. Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp call this the gospel gap. And so we'll see some of that in action, which is a gap between what we know is true in the gospel and actually how we live. That gap. So... And they observe that in this book, they observe that such gaps don't stay empty. We and the others in our church are often operating with a mix of gospel truth and philosophies that, though they sound biblical, have at their core the values of this world. So Lane and Tripp in their book identify seven of these substitute philosophies. And of course, it's, it's not something, you know, it's not gospel truth like they say, but it's some guidances of what these gaps, philosophies could look like. And so let me just walk through, uh, through them. And as I do, I want us to think of where we might recognize some of these being true in our own hearts. Because I don't know about you, but as we read these things, usually someone else comes to mind first, even before us. But how some of these could be true in our own hearts or how others you know might adopt some of these false philosophies but primarily as we see them play out in our lives. And so this is the challenge of uh, encouragement seen in seven false philosophies. And the first one is formalism. So like someone who participates in regular meetings and, minist and ministries of the church 
And so I'm going to use the first person. I feel that my life is under control. I always, I may always be in church, but it has little impact on my heart and how I live my life. I may become judgmental and impatient with those who don't go through the same motions I do. Christianity is being in the right place, going through the right motions, right? And so is that person that thinks that they are fulfilling what they're doing by their formalism, by their surrounding. Now the second one, it's kind of like formalism's cousin, and that is legalism. I live by rules, right? Rules that I create for myself, rules that I create for others. And I feel okay if I can keep my own rules and become arrogant and full of bitterness when others can't meet the standards that I set for them. There is no joy in my life because there is no grace to be celebrated. Now the next one is mysticism. Mysticism. And this is the incessant pursuit of an emotional experience with God. I live for the moments when I feel close to Him. But I have no emotional high. But if I have no emotional high, I assume God doesn't love me or He's not real or He's not for me. I live for that experience alone. That is a gap. The fourth is activism. And we can go on explaining even with farther detail some of these concepts or worldviews that are filtering a gospel uh, life that should happen in our lives. But activism is when we get excited about Christianity mainly as a way to fix a broken world. So I base my relationships with God as on how much I've done to alleviate poverty, but my own heart is far from Him. Number five, then there we have biblicism. Reducing the gospel to a mastery of biblical concept and theology. I know my Bible inside out, but I don't feel it, but I don't let it master me. And so I am impatient with those with lesser knowledge. The sixth, and you see the gap, right? Where, but wait, the word of God is, is supposed to be doing this transformation and yet character shows a deviation from the fruit of the Spirit. And so those are gaps. Even though in themselves those things are good when used properly in the umbrella of the gospel. But on their own there are just philosophies. Even though they seem very close to the real thing. And the sixth is therapeutic gospel. I may talk a lot about how Christ is the only way that healing and help can come to those who are hurting. Yet without realizing it I have made Christ more of a therapist than a savior. I view the sin of people against each other a greater problem than my own sin against God. And I treat Christianity simply as a way to get problem free. And finally, it's what you might call it, <laughs> and I'll make sure I make that distinction, socialism. I'll stick like a two second pause there to make sure it's not confused with anything else. Which is the deep fellowship and friendships I find at church that can become their own idol, actually. The body of Christ replacing Christ himself. 
and the gospel is reduced to a network of fulfilling Christian relationships, right? Now, these seven anti-gospel philosophies, all of them based on half-truths, right, that we're prone to believe, which is exactly why we need encouragement. If you have ever received piano lessons, anyone ever received piano lessons, at least one or two, <laughs> right? Some of you might remember your teacher who would probably often stop you when your hand posture was, would revert and then he would or she would revert it back from that wrong way, right? Do not let your, what is it, the wrist down. When we give biblical encouragement, we act sort of like a piano teacher who gently and regularly helps her student recognize and eliminate bad habits that may have crept in. So the piano teacher not only corrects poor posture, but models the true way to play, right? It shows us. So just as such teacher, we must expose false ways of thinking and help one another delight in the truth as well. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, we are destroying arguments and all arrogance against, raised against the knowledge of God, Right? And we're talking, and we're taking, I'm sorry, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So it's a, 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 an act, two things happening actively, right? Destroying and building up, deconstructing and reconstructing. So that's the challenge, right? To battle the desires of the hearts, recognizing that we swim in a sea of worldly philosophies that challenge fundamental Christian truths about who we are. So what, we, what we'll talk about next is the context for change. The kinds of relationships that promote this kind of encouragement toward holiness. So the context of change. So James 5.16 says this. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There are two things that we need in a church to have a healthy culture of encouragement. First is a willingness to reveal struggles and a willingness to help when others reveal their struggles. So nothing I say in this class will be of any use if you're not willing to reveal your struggles to others and if you're not close enough to others to know when they need help. So two questions to ask ourselves here. Do you make it a regular habit to share your struggles with others? Perhaps to one level of honesty with those you know casually and more in full detail with those who you know deeply, right? And, and it's okay to make those distinctions. Sometimes we are to respect other people's journeys that may actually not be a blessing to them on the level of how we share our own struggles. But we also identify those deep relationships, right? That are helping our deep struggles. And second, are we making this a church that is welcoming towards struggling people as well? Or is this the type of place where only people who have it all together are welcome? Not. Right? Now, a few thoughts on that. We can do to, a, few, a few thoughts on what we can do to cultivate this type of a of, of a church, uh, church context or church culture on sharing our struggles. Let me encourage us to take the opportunity when appropriate to embrace the ministry 
of dependency. There is nothing godly about stumbling on alone in our struggles because we are too proud to let others know, right? We are to give each other the opportunity to minister to one another. Give someone the opportunity to minister to you, right? One of the kindest things we can do for those who are struggling and considering joining our church is making it clear that the church is full of people just like them because it's full of us, right? Sinners in need of the Lord. And on serving those who are who share the struggles with you, when someone bears their souls to us, who are call, we are called to act in humility. Amen? One thing help, that, that helps is to refrain from offering trite solutions that make it sound like a complete, you know, that make, make it sound like a complete fool would have that problem, right? Like struggling with depression, well, just read your Bible more. Or spend more time outside, just go exercise, you'll feel okay. Just a brush-off type of comment, right? When someone opens up about a struggle, they're just offered you a jewel. It may be rough and disfigured, but you now get the stewardship to help polish that jewel that it becomes a reflection of God's sanctifying work. So those are just a few thoughts on the context of relationships that we need to build relationships that are honest and relationships that welcome struggling people and in a personal level i i struggle with that listening and just being quiet right after someone talks just not offer the first thing that comes to my mind right away but just listening pray grieve that concept of grieving with those who grieve and rejoicing with those who rejoice that that in the context of encouraging one another is is huge right and so Cultivating that with one another is very important. Let's see here. And all of these leads us to our final point. How to encourage struggling people. The Christians around us are fighting the flesh. And they're fighting the hollow and deceptive philosophies around them. We are exhorted to encourage them. To instruct them. But how do we do that, right? The answer is that it depends, obviously, on the person. But Scripture has given us immense wisdom in thinking through these issues. And so, listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 and 14 for starters. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So who, how are we to care for those around us, right? Warn those who are idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So when we encounter the struggle of a brother or sister, it's useful to run through these three categories in mind. Are they idle or unruly, like the NSB says? Are they timid or in need of motivation? Or are they faint-hearted, right? Are they simply weak and in need of someone, uh, of someone to help in their burden? So how can I do this with patience, right? It's all contained in this verse. It's a great help for us. So whatever category they're, they're in, we want to do three things here. First, speak scripture to them. Amen. 
first speak scripture to them. That doesn't mean throwing a verse at them, right? Paul Tripp in this model of counseling says that usually to speak truth to someone in a way that they can hear, we first need to show that we love them. And we need to get to know who they are and what it is they're facing. So once we do that, we want to convey the truth of God, of God's word to them. Maybe by reminding them of a pattern in salvation history. Perhaps of God always providing himself faithful or simply studying a passage of scripture with them. But speak scripture. Second, help them meditate on the gospel. Speak to them about the aspects of the gospel. Wonder with them at the depth of Christ's love and the certainty of our forgiveness. Whether you are idle, faint-hearted, or weak, your functional understanding of the gospel is in need of repair. Remember, at the root of the problem is a gospel gap, as we talked about, right? So use scripture to help them understand how their understanding of the gospel might be deficient and share with them afresh the joyous news that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then that's the power of the word of God, right? That, that, that verse only right there is... <laughs> It's encouraging in its own, and it is the power of the gospel. Thirdly, identify evidences of God's grace in their lives. So recognize whatever fruit of the Holy Spirit is growing in them and tell them about it. You know, I see how you've been growing in patience. In patience, two words, not impatient. Right? If someone is tempted to doubt if they're really a Christian, this can help them in their assurance that God truly is transforming them. Right? This is what Paul did in so many letters. When he wrote to the Corinthians, even though he had a lot of rebuke coming ahead, he opened, and this always amazes me about the opening of Corinthians, right? He opened this letter by saying, I always thank God for you because of his grace giving you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all of your speaking and in all of your knowledge, because of our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. And so starting with an encouragement, and remember encouragement includes all of this, right? The, the rougher parts, the pointing out of God's grace, the scripture part. So what we'll do now before we end is go through three case studies. And examples of what this looks like for each of the three categories. You have that in the back of your bulletin. And Paul lays out, and what and Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 5.14. So we'll use that, that, um, those three things that we talked about, right? Um, that we can categorize at all people who are discouraged. Idle, faint-hearted, weak. And I'll, I'll give some background on the situation, on the hypothetical person. And then we can discuss a couple of questions together. So... On the first part of that verse that tells us about warn those who are idle or the NSV as it says admonish the unruly. Let me put a situation forward here that Chris can help us discuss. <laughs> All right. Let's say to begin with you're, ta you're talking with Sue who will not remove herself from the path of temptation. 
she has found that she is very tempted to be in love with the things of the world. And watching a particular show on TV seems to always leave her discontent with the life that God has given her. But she really, really likes it. And has fun talking with friends at work the next morning after the air shows. Or the show airs. <laughs> You've talked about how this show may be playing a more destructive role in her life that she might realize. But while she, is, she confesses that, she, that the show regularly leads her to be sinfully discontent, she hasn't stopped watching it. She is idle and seems apathetic about her soul. And so we're going to ask the two, we're going to have two more situations like this, and we're going to ask the same two questions. And so, based on what we learned from the gospel gap, where is the gap, do you think, Chris, in Sue's understanding of the gospel as it relates to this situation? Yeah, if you want to assign one of those or just simply how she is not understanding the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Istic. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Amen. And it, it goes around the issue of what it means to truly repent, right? As Paul said, we died to sin. How can we live in, in it any longer? So does she understand, right? We wonder and we, can, and we would challenge Sue. Does she understand what repentance should look like for a Christian? What it means to take Jesus' serious words or Jesus' words seriously. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off in the context around that, right? So we're talking about the idol, right? Somebody who says, yeah, I know that. Meh, meh, right? Type of thing. And so where is the gospel ga gap there? Where is her understanding? So we're trying again to discern the heart, right? What is her understanding of repentance? What is, where is her understanding of what Christ has already done in her life? Where her treasure sh should be at, right? And the second question is, what will we say to Sue? So one of the answers that we would, um, could give, right, is the difference between a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 7, she may reject watch, watching the show, but she is not repentant, right? But we remember the godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death, right? So we could warn her of the consequence of sin in her life. And positively encourage her in the joy and contentment that comes from pursuing the things of the Lord. And from knowing herself to be someone who has, who has not deserved God's love. But has received it because of his grace. And so the understanding of the gospel. How it applies to our everyday mess. Right? So that's. One example of the idol, of the unruly. Let's think about areas in our own lives where we could be idle. Yeah, I know this is totally unchrist like Am I idle? 
about others who you've heard heavy in your heart, who are close friends, who are dear friends, I clearly see there's an idle part. I, I see a reflection of that. How can I discuss this with her? Where is the gospel gap? Where in her understanding of daily living, gospel-centered living, she is not, he is not seeing the treasure of Christ. So the second one that we talked about is based on the encourage the um, timid or as the um, NASB puts it, encourage the faint-hearted. So let's think about this letter B. What it means to encourage the timid, right? So for this example, let's think about Joe. And it, there's no Joes here. I don't want to throw names that are here already. Joe, he is in his late 20s and is still trying to figure out what to do with his life. He works in a dead-end job, doesn't find himself particularly useful at church, would like to get married, sort of, but isn't anywhere close. And he's been struggling for several years with what God's purposes are for his life. He feels like he's close to giving up, though he doesn't know what giving up would really mean. But it sounds dramatic. So he rarely serves others, but he says he would like to. He just doesn't think he has anything to contribute. When he looks at other elders, he thinks that they are super Christians, and he's just a nobody. So as it relates to encouraging the faint-hearted, right? Let's discuss the same question. Where is the gap, as we mentioned, in, jo in Joe's understanding of the gospel? Where is that gap in Joe's understanding of the gospel? Right? Darlene. <coughs> Darlene. <laughs> Oh, okay. I thought you didn't hear me. I thought you <laughs> so where, where do you think, and we'll continue to discuss, where do you think this Joe's, where is the gap, right, in Joe's understanding of the gospel as he is faint-hearted or timid as... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And his emotions that direct his steps, right? Yes, thank you. Correct. Yes, amen. And that's true for many of us, right? Sometimes we let those direct our steps. And some also we could consider, right, that in a strange way, he could have fallen in legalism. Having begun with the Spirit, he now thinks of his goal in terms of, he now thinks of his goal in terms of human effort. He considers his worth as directly related to his productivity or his lack of productivity. And that has resulted in, let me pronounce this right, despondency. So remind him that his worth before God is grounded in Christ, and this, get this word here, finished work. Not his. And, and, and always as we remember, right, that Christianity is all about done. Other systems in the world are about doing and do. And his and our belief is about it is done. And we rest and it is done. So what will you say to Joe to encourage him, right? 
So we help him understand his responsibility as rooted in the opportunities God has given him. His value doesn't come from the approval of others. Share with him the glorious hope that God has given to all those who are his children. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Imagine for a faint-hearted believer who is to be reminded of such gospel truth of who he is in Christ. Share about how all Christians in the church are gifted to care for one another, for example. How we are there. And let me just uh, put a parenthesis here. A phrase that stuck with me for two weeks and probably Lavi heard it like five times because I told her because I'm excited about I heard a phrase by uh, one of my favorite uh, Spanish Dominican Republic preachers that he said, God has not given you gifts. God has given the church gifts through you. And that just like, I had to sit down, send a meme to Lavi of blowing, blowing up. You know, and so when we think about it that way, if we think that, you know, we are given these gifts, you know, there's a sense in which now we can walk with a little bit more of, you know, confidence. And now I'm the preacher now. I'm the guitar handler. I'm the, you know, whatever, the one who cleans everything spotless here. Oh, that's a new thing now, guitar handler. Yeah, look it up. Um, <laughs> you, and so, but if God has given the church gifts through you, <laughs> how much more do we understand the necessity to use those things to his glory and for the good of his people, right? That blew me away. That God has given the church gifts through you. It's awesome. So, this is the discussion here for that second part, right? Share about how all Christians in the church are gifted to care one another. And the third is help the weak. And so let's move to the last of this, these three pieces here of this verse. We're almost done. Help the weak. Who is weak? In a sense, we're all weak, right? But there are some in our midst who are weak in ways that make them spiritually vulnerable. This might especially come through circumstances in life that make it difficult each day to keep trusting in God. So for our example, we'll use Max. Max has been diagnosed with clinical depression. He is unable to do the amount of good that he wants good. He struggles mightily with his relationship with God. And now that many of the emotions of faith he, could, he once counted on without even realizing it, it are few and far between. So through work with his pastor, he has come to recognize some of the spiritual roots of his problem, perhaps similar to some of the examples we already talked about. But his mind is more susceptible to what to that downward spiral of depression. And there is a physical side of his disease that it is hard to escape. In this situation, though not always necessary, his doctor is helping him on the physical side of things, and yet Max is discouraged and downhearted in so many ways. And so Max is weak, right? So the first question again, what might be some of the possible gaps, considering all the things from above, still some of the possible gaps, the Max understanding of the gospel, right? Now, it's open. Anyone can think about that? You can shout out an answer if you like. 
as it relates to this issue, what could be one or two things that we can think about that could be gaps in the gospel? Hmm. Yes. He, can, he could counteract with some of those, yes. And it is here in emotionalism for sure. Considering how he is weak, right? He may be weak in faith. And as Nick said, his present emotions feel like they would last longer. And so God's promises seem to seem so distant as they appear non-existent. So that's right. And so what do we do? We help him to learn that to trust in God more than in himself, right? That is, after all, the one essence of the gospel, right? Or perhaps the help he needs is the constant reminder that there are Christians in, this, in, in his life who love him and, who, and whose love is rooted in something much more secure than his own lovability. And the second question is, what are some of the things that you could do or say to encourage Max? Right? Very importantly, we share with him the gospel of hope. We'd help him to see how his sufferings are producing perseverance, character, and ultimately hope. Romans 5, 3, 5. Right? Remind him of the reasons he has to trust in the goodness of God, even as he questions why he's struggling this way, right? Especially in this category of those who are weak, we can't be content to simply dispense truth at people and feel like our job is done. Sometimes we need to be quiet and listen or simply be present with them while they suffer. Other times we need to pray for them to meet physical needs and provide fellowship. We shouldn't only speak the truth but do these things to create opportunities to speak with them. And I also want to add here that I do believe that if we pray to God for them and for our counseling to them, I believe that God will show us when it is a time, a prolonged period of time when you just need to be ears. And that's it. And when there is a time when the, you can see that the Lord is prompting you where words need to be mentioned. Rebuking needs to be mentioned. Remembrance needs to be mentioned, right? Let's trust in God that he will also guide us through this process. Because we're also failing beings, right? Who is sinners ministering to sinners who are growing together to present each other complete in Christ and finally as we wrap all this up together and as we bring first Thessalonians that we used here for this show uh, use case right finally Paul says in that same verse be patient with everyone very easy so we'll wrap it up have a good night <laughs> right be patient with everyone so, whether it's someone who is physically weak, someone who is frustratingly obstinate, someone who thinks they're doing great and doesn't need your encouragement, our posture is patience. Your job is never to condemn. There is now no condemnation, right, for those who are in Christ. Never to shame someone by, slow, by how slow their growth is going, right? True patience comes from knowing how patient our Heavenly Father has been with us. Patience delights to serve your brothers and sisters because they are the reflections of God's character and because gratitude for God's patience runs deep in your soul.
And so one last thing that we can remember as we continue and strive together to encourage one another is that we love because he first loved us. Our love, and this is so important, right? Our love comes from his love and ought to reflect his love. And because of that, may we labor to present each other perfect in Christ, right? How much, to know how much we've been forgiven, to know the depth of that, to know how low of sinners we are, and to know the great grace of Christ in us should be a decent start to loving and serving one another. Amen? Any final comments on encouraging one another? Rusty? Implicit antinomianism. Yeah. How People Change by Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp is a great uh, Christian counselor. Uh, he's got a lot of great material on parenting and marriage. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a good resource. And, uh, and, and that is a very well known when it comes to encouraging, counseling one another, how people change is good. And if it's got a, like a study guide and everything. Yes.